welcome to the 120th episode of the So Video Games podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we are playing it, we will be talking about it. Today, we are recording on February 25th, 2019. My name is Brad Galloway. I am the editor of GameCritics.com, and I am 50% of this here show. With me, as always, Corey Motley, staff writer at GameCritics.com. Corey, how you doing, sir? I am doing well. I cannot believe we're already on episode 120. I feel like we just recorded episode 100, our special one and two part 100 episodes, um, like a week ago, and we're already on 120. Time is flying, man. It definitely feels like... I mean, it's funny because I was getting ready for the show yesterday, kind of getting my notes ready and preparing, and I was as I was doing my notes, I'm like, God... It feels like we just did the last show yesterday, and that is super <laughs> not true. It's been a full seven days. But yeah, man, time is just going. It's, man, maybe it's just part of being old. Maybe it's just because we're so busy. I don't know, but I, I wouldn't mind things slowing down a little bit. How about you? Um, yeah, I would be okay with that. And the good news for me is uh, slowing down um, next week. We're kind of like right about to be in the thick of Mardi Gras season in New Orleans, and the weekend that's coming up is kind of like the official Mardi Gras weekend because next Tuesday, not tomorrow, but the next Tuesday is Fat Tuesday. And um, I have, so the week, this weekend coming up, I actually have Monday and Tuesday off work. So I have a four-day weekend. That's one of the blessings of living in New Orleans is pretty much during Mardi Gras, like just about everything in the city shuts down for like Monday and Tuesday after the weekend. So I have a four-day weekend coming up and I am heckin thrilled about it that is amazing are you going to go down and take part in the festivities you're going to just kick it at home play some games what's your plan i don't know i think i'm going to uh not to atlanta but close to atlanta for part of the weekend because there's a city about two hours closer to atlanta than atlanta um where they're doing uh, some of my friends are having like a parkour jam situation there on saturday so I think I might drive out either Friday night or Saturday morning and go do that and like, you know, go photograph parkour and everything as I usually would and then come back Saturday night. But then I'll still have, you know, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday off. Um, I don't know if I'm going to do anything because last year I went to a bunch of parades and I just don't really like going to Mardi Gras parades. Like it's kind of one of those, you know, I experienced it. I went to some different ones. I kind of saw everything for what it was, but it's just like... There's just too much going on. It's a little bit too much of a mess for me. And I don't really like being in big crowds of drunk people while people on floats are just throwing things at you. Like, I know that's kind of something that a lot of people go in for down here, but it's just not always my cup of tea. So I don't think I'm going to do a lot for Mardi Gras this year. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Well, let's get into games. But before we do that, uh, just a quick reminder that if you want to hear more about uh, Corey's doings when he's not doing this podcast, maybe not necessarily about Fat Tuesday or Mardi Gras, but we do have our usual banter section, which comes after the show. I talk about some stuff, too. Uh, some thrilling discussion about breakfast cereal and a few other things. Um, <laughs> if you want more from us that is not necessarily game related, please stay tuned after the closing music for some extra content. Uh, but that's not happening right now. What we are doing is what I assume you came for, or at least I hope you came for, or at least I, I hope you're going to listen to, the games chat. Corey, it's been kind of a weird week, kind of a busy week. Uh, I think we have a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Kind of a weird agenda today, so I guess let's just get into it and see where it takes us. You are up first, sir. 
Uh, this is a game that I've heard about, but I've never played. It's called Mr. Shifty. I, if memory serves, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's a little indie jam, sort of a top-down kind of a thing. I was made aware of it on Switch, but I assume it's also on PC and probably elsewhere. But tell us about Mr. Shifty. I would love to. So I've been actually kind of, I played this game several weeks ago and I've kind of been sitting on it. I didn't finish it, by the way. I like sampled it and I played it and I was like, okay, like I want to talk about this game on the show eventually, but I've been kind of waiting. This is going to sound pathetic, but whenever, whenever you podcast every week, like if anybody's listening that does podcast, you'll understand this. Like you kind of have to have some stuff like on the back burner for whenever you run out of things to talk about and you like know that you can bring back to the show. It's kind of what Mr. Shifty has been for me. So I played it a few weeks ago, and then I played it a little bit today just to kind of refresh myself on it before we talked about it on the show. And basically what caused me to figure this game out, I didn't know what it was at all. I'd never heard of it. There was a big PSN sale a few weeks ago, and I bought it on a PSN sale on PS4. I think it was just like a few bucks. It was maybe like 4 or $5. So I was like, okay, it looks interesting. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll do it, whatever. So Mr. Shifty is it's kind of like if I had to like give an elevator pitch for what Mr. Shifty is, it's like if you could, if you had, if you're thinking about X-Men as in like Wolverine X-Men, if you could have a Nightcrawler game and Hotline Miami and they have a love child, that is what Mr. Shifty is. I mean, that sounds pretty cool because... I enjoyed Hotline Miami. I mean, I, I wasn't crazy over it, but I enjoyed it. And I love Nightcrawler. He's always been one of my favorite X-Men. So that sounds cool. Are you setting us up for a fall or was it actually pretty good? <laughs> um, the good news is it's actually really good. I like this game. So I'm not one. I'm glad I don't have to come here and say, hey, here's this great premise. And by the way, the game sucks. I'm not doing that this week, which makes me really happy. So Mr. Shifty, you're totally spot on. It is a kind of a top-down, looks kind of like Hotline Miami. The graphics are really cool. They're very cartoony, kind of cell-shaded almost. Um, so it's not like as pixel-based as Hotline Miami is because that game looks kind of retro. Um, this definitely looks fresher. The character models are a lot bigger. It's a little bit more in-your-face than um, sort of like the, I guess, like drawn-out perspective of Hotline Miami. But it's a similar setup. Um, you play as a character um, who's named Mr. Shifty, as you might imagine. Um, he's sort of like a... I mean, the game's light on story, which is good, because it's like the game doesn't really want to like fuck around. It kind of just wants to like get you in there and get you playing, which I really respect. And it does have a tutorial, so I get to come to the podcast and say that for the first time in like a million years, I've played a game that has like a good, it's not like a tutorial, but like the first level of the game like breaks down all the controls for you. It doesn't just throw you in and make you figure everything out yourself. But Mr. Shifty is sort of like this, I don't know, like special agent kind of guy. And he looks kind of cartoony. He's got like a cool baseball cap on and this cool like coat, this like long coat. And basically you play through it's got like kind of like a diehard vibe because you're like playing in this like corporate building and you kind of work your way from the ground floor like all the way up to i mean i guess it's the top floor i haven't beat the game so i don't really know how far it goes and you play in these different maps and the hook to the game as you might expect because i kind of led with nightcrawler being the thing here is that mr shifty can teleport so if you're running around you use the left control stick to move him around and it's top down you can use the right thumbstick to kind of like extend his viewpoint and like kind of aim in a sense, but he doesn't, he, he can pick up weapons, but he doesn't have like a gun or anything. This isn't like a shooter like Hotline Miami. 
you press X and he teleports. And he can teleport through walls, he can teleport through doors, he can teleport. If he teleports into like a table, the table will just shatter. So there's not really like any way to like die from teleporting. Like I don't think you can like teleport out the building and fall or anything. But it's kind of a fast action strategic game because the enemies have guns that have laser sights. And if they shoot you once, you're dead. But it's not like a... I find this game to be far less frustrating than something like Hotline Miami because Hotline Miami kind of has the same thing going where it's like it's really fast, it's really in your face, but it, you can die in one hit and it's really annoying. I find Mr. Shifty to be a little bit more forgiving because the teleport mechanic is kind of like the game's bread and butter. So if there's an enemy like facing a doorway, you can basically like teleport past him and then just kind of like punch him a couple times from behind. And most enemies die with like a couple punches um, there are some, like, bigger, like, heftier enemies who don't have guns who will punch you back. And they it takes, like, a three-hit combo to knock those guys out. And there's an incredible <clears throat> door-kicking mechanic that is kind of similar to Hotline Miami. Because, like, in Hotline Miami, if you burst through a door while an enemy's on the other side of it, it knocks the enemy down. And there you can do, like, the sort of, like, ground fatality situation. In Mr. Shifty... If an enemy is on the other side of a door, and they can be, like, all the way across the room from the other side of the door, you can press the uh, the attack button at the door, and Mr. Shifty will kick the door off its hinges, and it will fly across the room and kill the <laughs> enemy, which is never not satisfying. It's always, like, the best thing, because you see these enemies, and they're, like, they have their gun pointed at the door, and you think that, like, they think they have you, and then you just kick the door once, and it flies into their face, and it kills them, and it's the best thing. Um, the teleport mechanic works in a way where you it kind of does a recharge thing where i think you can do it like five times in a row but they recharge pretty quickly so it's not like you know you use it five times and you have to wait 30 seconds for it to recharge like you can use it up to five times and i think it takes about one second for each of the like cubes to reset or to recharge so it's pretty forgiving and it's pretty like it's good because it doesn't feel like it's penalizing you it doesn't feel like it's kind of doing the stamina thing where, you know, if you attack and you teleport, that's like wearing you down as much. The game is very much about being quick, about being agile and fast and strategic in movement. And if you die, the checkpoints are pretty fast, too, in kind of a Hotline Miami way where, like, as you move up each floor or each room, um, if you die, you kind of teleport or restart back to the beginning of the room so it doesn't checkpoint you really far back. And every stage has a different amount of rooms in it but they're all, like, I mean, pretty similar. It's just kind of, like, office building-type rooms where you, each kind of room is its own individual board. And you can pick up um, melee weapons. Sometimes it's, like, simple stuff, too. There's, like, mops you can pick up. And you can, he kind of does, like, a sweeping attack where if there's, like, three enemies all together, you can kind of do, like, one attack with the broom handle, and it'll, like, knock all of them down and kill them or knock them out or whatever. I don't know if he's killing them, but, like, knock them out or uh, incapacitate them for lack of a better word. But the melee weapons break, so you have to be kind of strategic about using them like a few times before they break. You can also throw the items, much like in Hotline Miami. So if you pick up a broom, you can throw it. There's like um, busts of uh, kind of like statues and you can like punch the pedestal they're on and then you can pick up like the head of them and you can attack enemies with that or throw them. I got to a point earlier where there's these sort of like um, Poseidon statues that have these big like kind of like the trident spears and those you can use as many times as you want and you like throw them you don't sweep attack every time you press the attack button he throws them in a straight line so the game kind of sets up some hilarious situations where like there's like 10 enemies in a row and you just like throw it and it like stabs all the enemies to the wall 
So as you can tell, this game does not take itself very seriously. It's very funny. And the woman, you have a handler, and her name is Nyx, um, N-Y-X. And she it's kind of like, you know, beeps into your... Um, your like earpiece every once in a while and kind of tells you objectives and tells you stuff and she's really funny and I mean the the point of the game insofar as I've been playing it is you're supposed to in- infiltrate this like big corporation building like the skyscraper to get it's called like mega plutonium so it's like this big I mean I guess it's like a core plutonium or something but of course it's called like mega plutonium because it's fucking ridiculous like this game's ridiculous but like in the best way and I'm really just finding that it's, like, a lot of fun. It's really arcadey. It's really fast. It's not serious. It's silly. And it's not... It hasn't been frustrating. Like, I die a few times in every stage. And every stage only lasts about five minutes or so. So it's not very long stages. Um, but whenever I die, I haven't been frustrated yet. Because, like, in Hotline Miami, I would often die and be like, oh, God damn it, or oh, I hate this game, or oh, I'm really frustrated, or fuck you, or, you know, suck a dick, or whatever. But in this game, I'm like, I feel like it's kind of my fault if I die, and I'm like, oh, I could have done that better. Like, it never, the deaths never feel cheap to me, at least they haven't yet. Um, But I'm sure the game is probably going to keep layering in new enemies or different enemies, and I don't know if, like, Mr. Shifty is going to get more upgrades as he goes on. Like, he doesn't have, like, an experience meter or get experience in any way that I can tell so far. So he's just kind of, like, slowly... Um, building on stuff like I unlocked a slow motion mechanic too about five stages in where if you uh, beat up enough enemies in a row there's like a little orange meter that goes all the way up and then if it gets to the max and an enemy shoots you um, time slows down so you have like a chance to evade the bullet and time slows down for a a few seconds so you like have time to really kind of you know teleport around and kick a bunch of ass before time resumes its normal speed Um, But I like this game. I really, I highly recommend it. It's really fun. Um, I bought it on PS4. Whenever I started playing it on PS4, I thought, man, this would be like a perfect game for Switch. It's a real bummer that it's not on the Switch. And then today I discovered it is on the Switch. I had just never seen it on the storefront anywhere because it came out in like April of 2017. I thought this was like a new game, but it's not a new game. So we're staying true to our, you know, new things, old things, and anything in between because... This game is not as new as I thought it was, but it's still a lot of fun, and I'm really enjoying it. So I definitely recommend it so far. Hopefully it doesn't get bad in the future, because I don't want to have to come back to the show and say, hey, I really liked it for the first five levels, and then I got shitty later. Um, but I'm going to keep playing it, because it's a lot of fun, just to kind of sit down for a few minutes and play through a couple levels after work or something like that. Um, but I'm enjoying it. I like this. It's fast. It's fun. It's funny. Um, it's strategic. It's silly. And I just I really like it. Interesting. I've been aware of this for a while, and I. It's too bad you didn't get it on the Switch, because I was just going to ask you how it ran on the Switch. Um, or if it was. Do you think it would be legible enough on the Switch's small screen, or do you feel like it really needs like a bigger screen, like on a PS4? I think it would be legible, because unlike a game like Hotline Miami, where like the levels are. Like the character is really small, and like you can kind of see a lot of the map at once. Uh, Mr. Shifty kind of zooms things in a lot where like, yeah, the level might consist of like a hallway, like three office rooms and maybe like a courtyard area and then like another hallway and an elevator. But pretty much every like individual area is zoomed in pretty far. So it's like the character models are pretty big and it doesn't feel like the screen is pulled out. It's pretty easy to tell what's going on all the time. And even though the screen is zoomed in, I never find myself getting killed from like off-screen bullets or anything the game is pretty good so far about like 
enemies waiting to shoot you until you can see them on the screen. Like I've never died from being shot off screen, which is great for me. Um, so I do think it would be good on switch and I put it on my switch wish list. Um, so maybe if it ever goes on sale on switch for a decent price, I might buy it there too, just to have, um, cause I think it would be good on switch, but I haven't tried it yet on switch. So I cannot confirm that, um, as a fact. Interesting. Well, you know, you're selling me pretty hard on it. I mean, everything you're saying about it sounds like it would be something I would really enjoy, but I, I do remember when this game came out, hearing something about it that put me off. And I don't remember what it was because it was a long time ago. And I just, you know, I, it hasn't stayed in my memory because I just kind of assumed, you know, oh, whatever, something's wrong with it, I'll move on. And there's like 10,000 other games. Uh, but what you're sounding, I mean, what you're describing sounds like pretty much like win all the way around. And you're not telling me anything that would turn me off. So now I'm trying to like rewind my memory and be like, <laughs> what was it that put me off of it in the first place? Uh, I don't remember, but there was something. I'll have to look up some reviews or something. But anyway, uh, you did a great job of selling this. I'm about ready to buy this uh, on Switch. <laughs> I'm going to go check it out once we're done with the show here and, and we'll see what happens. But yeah, sounds like a win. Sounds like a win. It is. I like it. And you have me nervous now because if there's like a bad quality that comes in, I really don't want to have to be that guy that comes back to the show and, and says, oh, I finally discovered the bad thing in it. And hopefully, um, you know, and it really ruined it for me. So I'm hoping that like it, it is good and it stays good, but um, I'll play it more and I'll report back and hopefully it stays true to what it is so far. Well, shit, dude. I'm that dude every other episode, so don't feel too bad about it. Um, well, keep us posted. Keep us posted. This sounds pretty great. So I am I hope that it stays good all the way through because my finger is on the buy button right now. So we will. I'm sure we will at least check in on this one more time. Maybe we'll talk more about it later on. Let's move on really quickly here. Uh, once again, that was Mr. Shifty, PS4 and Switch. I believe it's on PC also, probably on everything. I can't confirm that, but I'm guessing it probably is. Uh, let me talk for just a minute about something that I played on the Switch. Uh, this game is not out yet, but the embargo will be over tomorrow so that by the time this is edited, we'll be free and clear. Uh, this is not a review. It's kind of more of just like a quick take or preview, quick impressions. It's called Remy Lore, R-E-M-I-L-O-R-E, -E, Remy Lore, Lost Girl in the Lands of Lore. It is... A Japanese game, top-down, roguelike. You play as a girl who has a magical book for a friend. You guys somehow get transported to another world where you must fight off enemies. Almost all of them are robotic for some reason. And you go through these like top-down kind of levels, uh, beating stuff up and leveling up and killing stuff. That's basically all you do. <laughs> um, it looked kind of cute from the trailers that I watched and I'm always up for good roguelike. You know me, I'm like Mr. Roguelike. So I'm always up for any roguelike that comes, especially on the switch. It's like my weakness, dude. You could sell me basically any roguelike you want to, and I would probably buy it. So I'm like, okay, this looks like it's okay. Graphics are pretty cute and solid. Um, uh, I'm not a big fan of the Japanese art style these days, but it looked okay. Uh, and I'm like, well, I'm always up for action games. Let's give this a shot. I bailed out of it really quickly, oh, probably, no. yeah, probably about maybe an hour and a half or two hours, because what I just described, top down, you're a girl killing robots, like, that's basically all you were doing, and the story was a complete wash, it was just like the traditional, like, kind of, you know, JRPG piffle, where it's like, oh, banter, 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 but none of it really means anything, and oh, let's talk about food for a little bit, and that doesn't mean anything, and... 
uh, we're just going to talk about stuff that just has no relevance. And there was no real character development. It didn't seem like the story was going anywhere. The kind of thing where it's like, oh, I'm a human on Earth, and now I'm in this weird dimension, and it's fine. We're just going to go ahead and do whatever we're going to do, and it's no big deal. So that's kind of like real tossed off, lightweight, not interesting, which would have been fine if the combat was good. Uh, but in the time that I spent with the game, it was, you held one weapon at a time, which immediately I'm like, why? Like, why would you just have one weapon at a time? That's crazy. Uh, and you just kind of switch back and forth whenever you found something, but I'd find like, like a mop or something or like a bucket or like a, you know, some kind of a sword or something. And then you'd pick up something else and like, it wouldn't be as good as what you had. And so like all of a sudden you're stuck with the same weapon for a while doing the same kind of like dialogue combos. The enemies were all like really just robotic and samey. Nothing really notable about them. There's a little bit of dodging projectiles and that spiced it up a little bit, but you just were doing the same thing over and over. Um, I got through a bunch of levels that seemed all identical. The backgrounds were all identical. I mean, they look nice, but once you've seen them once or twice, you're ready for something else. And they just like repeated a bunch. And it just was really samey. Like you just ran around, killed robots, got some points of whatever kind uh, points or money or whatever it was you leveled up some powers and it just was like so uninspired and like so boring and there was no real hook to it story wasn't great the levels got really dull action was pretty like just real basic just real real basic nothing fancy i mean there's like a thousand other games out there that do everything this game does and and, and do it better so about 90 minutes in, I'm like, I don't know why I'm even playing this anymore. It doesn't seem to be going anywhere. I don't see any potential for new things popping up. Uh, I just I just really got bored and lost interest. So maybe, I, you know, I'm not going to be that guy. I'm not going to say, you know, maybe it gets better later. But <laughs> it just in the hour and a half or two hours that I spent, it just was really flat. Like I felt like I saw everything that the game had to offer and that all I was going to be doing for the next 20 hours was like leveling up. And I'm just not not game for that anymore. So maybe there's more to it. Maybe cool things happen five hours in, ten hours in. I don't know. But based on the time that I spent with it, I'm like, no, this is really flat, really boring. Um, just nothing of note in any aspect. So I guess it was supposed to be selling on the strength of cute Japanese girl art, which to me is not enough to make it a good game. So uh, Remy Lore, Lost Girl in the Lands of Lore, played it on Switch. It ran fine. It looked good. It's cute. looks good in videos. Uh, but if you want a roguelike, there's a billion other ones that are better. If you want an action game, there are a billion ones that are better than this. If you want story, this game really has no story to speak of. If you want Japanese art, whether it's cuteness or if you want the TNA, there's dozens of other games that do both of those things better than this game. I don't know why anyone chose this to be ported, and I don't really have... It's not bad. I mean, it's not terrible, but there's nothing to recommend it. So anyway, that's my hour and a half two hours impression of remy lore and i probably will never ever ever talk about the game again on this podcast any questions thoughts or shall we move on um the only input i have is yikes <laughs> <laughs> i just when i play something like this that's so boring i'm like why like is it just people who are so desperate to buy anything japanese that they'll pick this up just because there's like a cute anime girl on the cover i mean maybe but, dude, there's so many other things, if that's your jam, and there's so many other anime games that have actual gameplay to them. I don't know why you'd choose this one, but... No. Oh, well. They can't all be winners, sir. Can't all be winners. Let's move on. Uh, let's talk about a game called Devotion. Uh, this is a horror game of some sort put out by a team from Asia. I want to say they're from Korea. I'm not confirmed on that. They have another game out which was called... 
The Tension. Uh, I believe it's some kind of a visual novel. Many people recommended it to me, but I have not played it yet. It's on my Switch wish list. But Detention got a lot of good buzz um, from people that I trust. And this is the next game from those same people. Devotion seems like a different genre, different Switch. Seems much more darker, much more serious, but also still horror-y. So, Corey, tell us about Devotion. You really came to bat this week, Brad. You did your homework on both the games that I'm bringing to the show this week. Uh, It was not intentional. I just read my email this morning, and that stuff happened to be there. (laughs) Well, you're super close. Um, Red Candle Games, I believe, is who made it, and they're from Taiwan, so um, still an Asian developer. Please excuse my error. Yes, how dare you, first of all. Um, I... I actually have, like, breaking news about this game. Did you see the news stuff that was happening, like, literally an hour before we started recording? I saw uh, something about delisting. Did you did you get the scoop on that? Yeah. So this game has only been out for, like, a couple weeks or so. And I didn't um, – I had no idea what it was because it's a PC-exclusive first-person horror game. And those are, like, a dime a dozen on PC. But I saw some people on Twitter, um, people of whom I – Rec- or I, I, when they recommend stuff, I listen. Um, one of whom is uh, Chris Schilling, who is from the UK, um, who I kind of like love him a little bit. I've got like a bit of like a man crush on him, and he seems to have good taste in games, and he's very like, well, he's just thought he's a thoughtful guy, and he he and I kind of share similar attitudes about like the world in general. So whenever he like recommends something that seems out my alley, I immediately like tune into what he's saying. And he was tweeting about liking this game for reasons, which I found flattering as well. So I looked it up on PC. I bought it um, just probably like three or four days ago. And the breaking news is, and this is like, I mean, by the time you're listening to this, this news will be like a day or two old, but literally like a couple of hours before starting to record the show, um, the developer pulled the game off Steam completely because apparently there was like, in the game world, there's some like, meme on like a piece of paper on a wall somewhere that is making i think it's making fun of the people's republic of china's president and they take that shit really seriously over there so i guess like the game started getting review bombed on steam because there was like a controversy around it And then apparently they like issued an apology, but that wasn't good enough. And people started review bombing Detention, the first game that they put out. And then apparently their publisher dropped them, the developer, from their roster. And then they pulled the game off Steam completely. Um, Apparently like it's, it got patched or something, but there was like one instance of it in the game or something like that. Or maybe somebody saw the pre-patch version where there was some kind of, like, meme joke about the president, and it was, like, a big deal. So I'm about to talk about a game that's not currently available on Steam anymore. Hopefully they will get it back out, or they will get it together, or they won't, like, I don't know, get sued to death in China, or however it works over there. So it's kind of a bummer, because I was excited about this game, and then, like, they literally, like, pulled it off Steam, like, a couple of hours ago. Yeah, you know, that's they they have a certain way about them in China and I can think of a certain uh president who would very much like to follow in those footsteps where if you say anything bad about the president it could be like disastrous for you on multiple levels. 
Um, so yeah, that's the thing that happened. But I believe it is it is back on Steam, correct? Did they they bring it back? Yes. Uh, no, it they pulled it like a few hours ago, and it's not. Oh, I least... thought it was already out. I thought I thought they brought it back already. Okay, maybe I misread that. But yeah, okay. No, but... Yeah, it came out a few weeks ago, like debuted, and then they just pulled it off Steam like a few hours ago. So it's currently not for sale at all. Oh, right okay, okay. I I must have misread that because I thought they were saying it just came back. So I must have uh, I did not read the entire article. My bad. <laughs> so yeah, that's too bad. I yeah, political commentary in a country like that is something that's really tricky. So I support people's right to free speech and to speak out. And hopefully these guys or girls or whoever at Red Candle will make it through. And I mean, I don't know, maybe they need to leave the country now. I don't know. But (laughs) let's let's uh, let's hope for the best for those folks. So, okay, so political controversy aside, tell us about the game itself, and I guess you can leave out mention of the Winnie the Pooh meme that pissed off the Chinese president, but <laughs> the rest of it, what what uh, what is it all about? Tell us, tell us the deal. Okay, so this is a first-person horror game. I didn't really know anything about it going in. I saw Chris Schilling talk about it on Twitter, and he said some stuff about, like, how it kind of does some... Um, how it's more than just, like, a jump-scare game, essentially. Like, there's a lot more, like, kind of like personal thematic stuff going on and how it's the kind of game where it really uses space well. Um, And whenever I heard, whatever he wrote, whenever I heard it or read it, I kind of thought about Layers of Fear in a sense because that game, as I've talked about on the show probably like four or five times, it's the kind of game where you're walking around a creepy mansion, you get to the end of a hallway, a door is locked, and you turn around and suddenly the hallway you walk down is nothing like it was the way you walked down it a few minutes ago. Um, And... Devotion does a little bit of that. So Devotion, being from a a Taiwanese company, is very steeped in sort of like Asian culture. Um, You start as you play in first person. You play as a father. Um, He's married to a woman. They have a child. They live in this kind of small, um, I think it's an apartment in China or Japan. I'm not really sure, but it's somewhere um, in Asia, or I believe it's somewhere in Asia. And the game starts, you're sitting on the couch, you're looking at the TV, there's like a weather broadcast on, and your wife is in the kitchen, and you can't see her from where you're sitting. Um, And she's kind of just like doing some daily like chat about like, oh, you know, our daughter was at school today, and she fell down, but she's okay, and she's doing well in school. And like in the middle of her chat, the guy that you're playing as kind of has this weird like hallucination, and you know, his screen kind of goes blank, and he like looks down at his hands, and he's kind of like having some, it looks like some sort of like weird like panic attack thing. And then it kind of turns into this, a first person game where you kind of, are going through the, it's going to be a little bit hard to explain this. Like you're going through the apartment kind of like over and over again, almost dare I say it almost like PT in a sense where you're kind of like cycling through the apartment, but in different time periods. So there's like a section of the game that's kind of in like the 1980. And I think there's like a 1986 slice and a 1987 slice. I haven't beat it. So I don't know how far it goes. I don't know if it goes past that or whatnot. But you're like in the apartment and it's like a little bit of puzzle solving. It's a little bit of environmental exploration, a little bit of jump scares and a little bit of like environmental sort of like not teleportation, but just like things will kind of change around you as you're moving. And 
the game lets you know what it is quickly because there's a pretty big jump scare like five minutes into the game that I like yelped so loud in my house I thought I was going to wake up the neighbors and I was playing it the other night. And but after that, it kind of like chills out and it lets you explore a little bit. But you're kind of like going through the apartment like over and over again under different circumstances and kind of discovering what's going on with this family. And like when it starts, it's just you, your wife, and you don't know you have a daughter, but she kind of quickly kind of comes in or you learn about her. But you never see the character models for these people. So like you're kind of led to believe that maybe the husband is like living alone and he's having flashbacks about the family like it's the it's the kind of game where i mean the story really unveils itself slowly over time as you explore the game which i think is a good thing because i still i haven't beat it so i still don't really know what's going on but what i can gather so far and i've played it for a couple of hours is that you're in a relationship with this woman your wife used to be like an actress like a movie star in china she was like some kind of like opera singer or something and then once she had the baby she kind of like left that behind and your daughter has some kind of illness um the game hasn't made it clear what it is so far but it's the kind of thing where she has to be homeschooled so she's like home a lot so you're kind of just like experiencing these sort of like hallucinations and flashbacks and discoveries about the relationship you have with your wife, the relationship you have with the daughter, what's wrong with the daughter, like what happened to the family unit, like if anything happened to the family unit, because obviously this game is not going to be all flowers and sunshine and happy stories because it's a freaking horror game. So like, obviously something went wrong. I'm not exactly sure what went wrong because I haven't like made it to some big like reveal in the game yet, but I like what it's doing And I like that, like Chris said on Twitter, it's more than just jump scares. Like, there's a pretty big jump scare at the beginning of the game. There's been, like, one or two kind of here and there that have been a little less severe. But a lot of it is about exploration and about sort of, like, discovering what's going on with the family. I'm solving a little bit of puzzles about, like, the section I'm in, there's, like, you're in a kind of, like, a hotel or, like, an apartment lobby, And there's three doors, three hallways with the door at the end of each hallway. And every hallway is the same and every door is the same. And every door you walk into the same apartment, but it's in a different year. And so you kind of get to see like how the apartment has shifted and changed. And you have to like go back and forth between the three apartments or among the three apartments. I mean, um, to kind of like solve these puzzles. And like, I guess it probably sounds kind of dull the way I'm explaining it. But it's just one of those like kind of slow burn psychological horror kind of games. And so far I'm really into it. Um, I like it a lot. I'm not like super in love with it, but I like it. And I'm kind of sad to see that the situation the developers are in right now. I hope that they get themselves out of it, but um, it's kind of like Steam's hot new shit right now. You know, there's always like every once in a while that new like first person horror game pops up that everybody talks about for three weeks and then it kind of disappears off the face of the earth, which I mean, this one has quite literally disappeared off Steam, unfortunately. Um, so I I don't really know what else to say. I like it. Um, I think it's very well done. I'm hoping that the story keeps building and keeps getting more interesting and keeps kind of like slowly revealing itself and it's kind of like a silent hill kind of way because it's kind of going that way right now which makes me happy i mean i'm glad that it's not just like all stupid jump scares that are kind of made to like accrue a twitch audience of streamers just playing it to be scared because it's definitely not cheaply made it seems like it's really well done and really well thought out 
Um, but that's all about all I can say about it so far, I think. I mean, I might be able to answer questions if you have any, but so far, so good. I'm enjoying it. Um, it makes me glad I have the gaming PC right now because it's only on PC. Well, actually, it's huh, not on PC right now, but hopefully it'll come back to PC. Um, but I'm excited about it. I like it. I It's often that I play horror games that feel cheap or just feel like jump scares or just feel like a hide-in-the-closet game when the monster comes. But this actually feels like a real kind of story-focused psychological horror game, and I feel like those are really hard to come by. So I'm glad to see one, and I'm even more glad to see it done well. Huh. So just to clarify, it's not available in the U.S. or anywhere. Like, I know that it was delisted in China, but it was delisted worldwide. Is, is that correct? Yeah, as of recording, it is not available at all. Okay, okay. Well, that's really unfortunate. Hopefully they get there. <laughs> Hopefully they will, you know, claim asylum somewhere and get out of there or, or something or just somehow get this worked out. I don't know. That's It's really too bad. Um, but uh, I heard good things about their first game and what you're describing, although I probably would never play it. I mean, it sounds good. We definitely need more horror games that are psychological or that are slow burn or that are actually nuanced um, rather than just having the things chasing you all the time or the you're super disempowered all the time or we've had like you know I'm not, I'm definitely not in the horror genre nearly as much as I used to be but it seems like we've had the same types of games come up because I do kind of just keep an eye out on what's coming out and it's been a while since I've heard of one that was really like kind of like you're describing like really that would perhaps get into your skin or really make you think a little bit or maybe just you know avoid too many jump scares um, which is just really cheap and annoying so <laughs> Well, I mean, keep playing. Let us know how it goes. Hopefully it's good, and hopefully those guys will get it back on Steam, and hopefully it'll all be worked out. But in the meantime, you can check out Detention, which is another game from the same team, which is currently on Switch, and I believe it's also on PS4, probably on PC as well, uh, if it hasn't been delisted also. I don't know, but uh, there you go. Uh, We will check back. Give us a full report once you uh, wrap it up, won't you? I would love to. Excellent, excellent. I got a couple games to mention really quickly, and then I think we're going to be out. Uh, a while ago, I was looking for some good phone games because, you know, everybody knows me, and Marvel Puzzle Quest is my jam when I'm on the phone. Uh, but every once in a while, I will hit a lull where I've done all the events and I've done all the things, and there's just really nothing to do for a couple hours. Um, and I don't like to just kind of mindlessly grind. So. I need like a backup game and I tried a bunch of other games. I downloaded a bunch. I got some suggestions on Twitter. I already had some that I had my eye on for a while from just my own searches or from other podcasts that I listened to. And I was kind of going through them. A lot of them turned out to be just like junk and garbage. So much bad stuff on the, the phone, the phone game markets. But I finally came across one that I thought was actually quite good. And I want to talk about that right now. It's called Meteor Fall, M-E-T-E-O-R, Meteor Fall. Uh, I had heard about it on the Gamers with Jobs podcast, and so that they described it pretty interestingly. I bought it like the day that I heard about it, which is probably a couple months ago, and I just had never started it until this week. But it's actually pretty great. Have you ever heard of it by any chance, Corey? I have not. So this is a game that is very well suited to being on a phone because it is stripped down. It is very clean and simple. Not a lot of junk in the UI, very easy to interact with. Uh, It's a deck-based roguelike game. So what happens is there's like, uh, I don't know, six or seven different characters that you start off with, kind of like a fantasy theme. There's like a a knight, there's a wizard, there's a, I mean, I I guess kind of like a priestess slash slash witch. There's a thief, 
and I think there's like a necromancer. And they each have their own specific cards that they start the game with, and then you can unlock more cards as you go. And when you start the game, it's like, oh, you need to, you know, whatever, find the bad guy at the end of the level. You have to get through three levels and then a boss battle, and then you beat the game. So it's pretty short in general. And then as you go through, each round that you play is very, very short. So for example, you'll start the game, you pick the knight, the game begins. And so what you see is your character on one side, an enemy character on the other. And you'll fight like all sorts of weird monsters. Like there'd be like a zombie dog or like a evil knight or a magician or whatever. Like, you know, just general fantasy sort of tropes. It's all drawn in a very... My son describes it as inappropriate cartoon drawing because what it looks like is it looks like um, Adventure Time or some of that stuff on Cartoon Network where it looks like it's a kid's show, but it's not really a kid's show. And it's got that kind of loosey-goosey art to it that's been very popular over the last couple years. If you see it, I'm sure you'll know what I'm talking about. I don't have a better way to describe it, but it's, it's, it's fine enough. I think it's attractive enough. Definitely has its own style, that's for sure. So you're, you're on one side, enemies on the other side. And it's very simple. It's just like a, like a representation of your character, very 2D, hand-drawn graphics. And the game will draw the top card on your deck for you. And then when that card is there, you either swipe left to throw that card away or swipe right to use the card. And if you don't remember what the card does, when you swipe right before you use it, it'll say, oh, it does this. It'll attack for three damage or it will heal you for 10 damage or whatever. And so you have a certain number of stamina points, certain number of action points. It's all very clear, straightforward, easy to understand. And then you just, the thing draws your, draws your card and you like use it or don't, use it or don't, use it or don't. And you just keep going through. So hopefully you will defeat the monster. If you do, you get a little bit of money a little bit of experience, you level up, and then you have some choices that pop up, whether it's like, would you like to uh, heal yourself or gain some extra XP? Or would you like to search for treasure? Or would you like to go to the blacksmith shop and level up your cards? And so everything is like, kind of like reigns a little bit where it's like this or that, this or that, as you go through. I mean, and the whole interface is designed around that. But I think it all works really wonderfully. Um, it's quick, it's easy to take in, easy to understand. You can put it down and come back to it without feeling like you missed anything. Story's not really a big part of it. So it's just kind of like the enjoyment of just playing the game, trying to put together a, a deck where it's just the most efficient it can be. And there's a couple different build styles for each character. But there's not a lot of deck management. Like, it's very simple. It's very lightweight, but in the best possible sense. Like, you're not... It's not like Magic the Gathering where there's like 10 billion cards and you got to figure them out and you buy them or anything. It's just like... You start with the same deck every time, and then you can either remove a couple, you find a couple as you play, and then when the game is over, your deck gets restored to its default setting, and so you kind of start over fresh the next time. Uh, and it's just really, really well done. I think the different characters each have a very different play style. Like, the thief is very stabby, and she has a lot of, like, cards that give her extra stabs with her knives. The witch has a lot of, like, um, like holy magic that she can use. Uh, the fighter is just like a straight up fighter. He has lots of defensive, like blocking and a lot of attacks. I mean, they all have a good flavor, but the mechanics work the same for all of them. So it's really, really good. I think it's really well done. I think it's really balanced. It's, it's great for a phone because it's just the right, right depth where it's deep enough to be interesting, but light enough to put it down and don't feel like you forget where you were. It's readable. It's very clean. It's, you know, you buy it. I think it costs, I think $3, $5 and there's no DLC. There's nothing else that you need to pay for, so you get the whole thing in one go. There's no ads or anything like that. No timers. It's just a really, really well-done game. I really enjoy it a lot. I think it's really good. I uh, have only beaten it one time. 
Uh, there is definitely some difficulty to it. You do have to like kind of get good, and there's also a little bit of luck of the draw as as a roguelike. You know, sometimes the enemy will get a bunch of really good cards, and sometimes your cards will not be so good. But you know, it goes back and forth, and I think that overall it really balances out. And just I've been having a real blast with it. I beat it for the first time last night, and I thought it was really fun all the way through. Was glad to finally be able to roll credits, and I'm going to dive in and do some other characters. So a total win. Like I think this is like a really really good phone game. I would recommend this to anybody. I am glad you enjoy it, but it also sounds like 100% not my shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. I would not recommend it to you. Okay, I would recommend it to anybody but you, Corey. Uh, not your thing, but if anybody out there listening is in the market for something that is vaguely, that operates Reigns-like, not exactly the same, but I think there's some shared DNA there. It feels sort of the same in some ways, just mechanically and how they've set the game up, which I think is really good. I think it's a good fit for phone. I like it. I think it's really, really good. I'm glad I bought it. I'm glad that I heard about it on the, the Gamers with Jobs podcast. So thanks to those people for recommending it. And I'm passing that along. I think it's great. I think it's wonderful. So check it out if you want something that is worth a damn on the phone. It's on iPhone. It's also on Android, which is where I'm playing it. I think it's great. So shout out to Meteorfall. And I've only got one more thing to mention really quickly before we wrap. I am a big fan of trials trials hd was the original one are you familiar with the trials series Corey? i am but i have never played any of them wow never not even one never wow okay i don't i don't think it would be your sort of thing i mean maybe it would be maybe it wouldn't be because people didn't think it would be my thing until i played it and then once i played it i'm like oh this game's amazing i love this game i i love trials a lot it is a game that's heavily skill-based, heavily twitch-based, extremely difficult. Uh, you play a person riding a motorbike, and at first it's just riding up and down ramps. It's 2.5D, where it's really, it's 2D, but the graphics kind of swoop and rotate, and you have these cool jumps, and it's very pleasant to look at. Lots of exciting stuff happens in the backgrounds, and it's all, it's all very entertaining. But essentially, you're on a 2D plane, and you have this dirt bike, and at first you're just like, going up and down hills and swoosh and jumping and you feel like a rock star and you're so cool and it's all it's all well and good but as the game progresses and this is true of all the different trials games i think there's probably five or six of them at this point uh what ends up happening is that the tracks get harder and harder and by hard you have to really master the physics of your bike so not only do you have to be able to you know keep your momentum going but sometimes there will be like an obstacle where you have to like bounce on your front tire because there's no place for your rear tire to be because you're bouncing on top of a pole and there's like three poles in a row and you have to like bunny hop off of your front tire and don't let your back tire fall and make it across those gaps. Or sometimes you'll be going up like a near vertical surface and the only way to do that is to get like a good start and then to like make your back tire grip the wall and then don't fall backwards but then don't fall forwards and it's like this incredibly delicate series of like hyper twitch maneuvers where like when you're getting into the upper levels of the difficulty you look at that shit and you're like that's literally impossible i don't know how you would ever do that it's like you know it's very common for people to get to like the hardest level of tracks and be like i didn't even get past the first obstacle where it's like you have to make like an extreme vertical jump from a flat surface of like you know twice the height of your bike and there's no ramp and it's just like this literally like a 90 degree angle and how do you even get up that and if you can't master like just the right bunny hop to get up it and then like nail the front tire and then whip your back end around so that you carry like all the weight forward to carry you over the thing. Like it's like this extremely complex series of maneuvers that is super hard to pull off. Like a lot of people are just like, fuck that, no way, like it's impossible. But 
It does. Like, it looks impossible. Like, it's so hard. But if you get into it, and if you like it, like, it, there's nothing else really quite like it out there. I love the Trials games. I have spent a lot of time on them. I have loved them. I've been frustrated by them. I curse them, and then I come back, and I love them again. I've spent many, you know, like, you know, just heart-pounding nights trying to nail one specific jump over and over and over and over and over. And it was one of the first games, I believe, on console that mastered the concept of letting the player instantly retry something because if you don't make them wait for the loading time, then the frustration is manageable. Uh, because it's been very common where I'll be at a jump in trials, like a, a particular jump, and I'll have to do it two, three, four hundred times before I manage to make the jump. And so if I had to wait for a loading screen every time, I would never play that game again. But because you push a button and you're instantly trying it again from the spot where you died, like that is what saves it. That's what makes that game playable. Very much the same with like Super Meat Boy or something like that, where the jumps are crazy and it's really difficult. But because you can just try and try and try and try and try in rapid fire succession, you feel like you're trying and working. You're not really that frustrated, or at least not as much as you would be otherwise. So brilliant maneuver there. Uh, the latest Trials game called Trials Rising is coming out tomorrow as we record. So by the time that this podcast hits, it'll already be out. There's also an open beta that you can download and check it out right now. It's on PS4. I don't know if it's anywhere else. Um, I am playing a review code, full disclosure, provided to me by the publisher. I have reviewed, I think, every single Trials game that's ever come out. I've played every single Trials game, so I definitely have put my time in with the series, and I feel like I'm pretty good at it. Not the best, because there's people out there that are just fucking amazing at it. I can hold my own, though. Uh, but I really like it. It's nothing that reinvents the wheel. I mean, it's like, it's dirt biking. It's, you know, swoops and jumps, and then it gets really hard at the end. There are lots of little tweaks, like lots of player customization. They've put in some loot boxes, which you buy with in-game cash, which is great. I believe you can also pay real cash, but you can get them with in-game cash, which is fine. But it's all cosmetic stuff. It's nothing so far that that requires, um, you know, it's not it's not pay to win or anything like that. You have to be just, like, legit good at the game. And uh, if you've played Trials before, this is just more Trials, which I think most people would agree is really good stuff. If you've never played Trials before, this is probably the best Trials to get in on because uh, when I first got into Trials, I met this guy in Australia. He he went by the name of Fat Shady. And (laughs) he was like this master. Like I was going to him for help all the time. When I would get frustrated on tracks, I'd be like, dude, Sensei, please help me out. Like, how do you make this jump? What is the deal? I don't get it. And he would like go through and explain it. I mean, the dude's like a fucking master of the game, dude. He's like, he's like amazing at the game. Super nice guy. He was always willing to lend a hand and help out. And Ubisoft picked up on him and they started working with him like in a community sense. And then they were getting some input from him about how to make the game. And so I loaded up Trials Rising today. His name was not only in the loading screen. Uh, loading screen came up and it was like, what would Fat Shady do? And I'm like, oh, cool. They gave me a shout out. That's so neat. When you get to the tutorial... He is giving you the tutorial. It is him in the game in a cartoon avatar with his real voice. And he's like, hi, it's me, Fat Shady. You may know me. And I'm here to give you this tutorial. And I'm like, oh my God, it's this guy. He's my friend from Australia. And he's giving the tutorial. He's actually in the game. It's so amazing. So he is the guy to learn from. I can swear on that. And he gives you the best tutorial Trials has ever had. So if you've liked the game, but you couldn't crack the difficulty or you just didn't understand how the physics worked, or you just couldn't grok how to fucking do it, he goes through it step by step by step by step with perfect examples, really clear instruction. It's a wonderful tutorial. And so if you really like the idea of trials, but you just haven't been able to do it, this is the one to get in on. Like, great tutorial, great explanations. He just breaks it all down. There's lots of content that anybody can access without getting to the hard stuff. 
Um, some customization. There's some multiplayer stuff. I got to dig into it a little bit more. I've only been playing for probably a couple hours so far. Uh, but so far, it seems like a big win. If you like Trials, I'm pretty sure you're going to like this. So Trials Rising comes out tomorrow, and it will already be out by the time you're listening to this podcast. And so far, after two hours, big thumbs up. I mean, if something goes crazy later on, I'll let you guys know about it, but I don't expect anything to be crazy bad. I mean, we'll see how it goes. But so far, digging it. I love Trials. Trials is one of my jams. I love it. Knowing what you know about me, do you think I would like these games at all? Not at all. <laughs> I do not think so. But I think you should download the open beta. It's free. It takes you only like like an hour to download it if your connection's okay. And it gives you a pretty good taste of what it's like. Um, the hard Now, I'm not, I'm not going to like undersell it because the hard parts of this game are basically like some of the hardest shit you will ever play like in your entire life in all of video games. Like when when it gets hard, it's harder than like anything that you have ever experienced in your life. Like I'm not kidding. I'm not I'm not exaggerating. So it does get hard. But there's lots of stuff in the game that is just fun, like going up the ramps, doing the jumps, you know, fireworks go off and f- silly stuff happens. Like anybody can probably get through 75% of the game and think it was just really a fun time. So maybe download the open beta, give it a shot, see if you like it. There's just, you know, there's definitely good stuff to be there for, for anybody. And there's hard stuff for the hardcore people. Um, but it's, it's, it's a good time. I think it's really fun. I don't know it's your thing, but, you know, it's free. I mean, you're not going to lose anything. That's true. If it's free, it's worth a shot. I don't know if it would be my thing either, but, I mean, I highly doubt it would be my thing. But I think I would still maybe be interested in trying it especially if it's for free maybe give it a shot you can download it and just do a couple tracks see how it feels i mean i think you probably have to be dead inside not to get a little bit of a smile on your face when you're going (laughs) up some of the first the earlier tracks because it just makes you feel like a badass like you make these giant jumps and all this exciting stuff happens and you're just going up and down and swooping and it's just it's just really good time fun i mean i think probably anybody can enjoy a basic track of trials i think it's just like you can't be a human being and not think that's fun i mean it is fun it's super fun um it's just a question of whether you want to go the distance and like make yourself crazy doing a jump 400 times to make it over for me yes i will do that i don't recommend that for everybody that's not where the game is at its best honestly i get a little obsessive about it uh maybe it's not so healthy but download it (laughs) give it a shot let us know what you think i bet you'll at least like the first couple tracks and have a good time with it all right i will look into this and perhaps report back all right. Trials Rising open beta available right now. The game, the full game comes out tomorrow. Ubisoft has announced like a whole bunch of DLC to like keep the, the fun going over the course of the season or whatever. Multiplayer stuff, competition. Uh, you can race against your friends. It's all a really good time. So if you like Trials, this is more Trials. If you've never played Trials, this is the best one to try. I will report later on once I get a little further in. But so far, thumbs up. And uh, that's it for me. Anything else for you, Corey, before we wrap this up? I don't think so. All right, let's bring it home, my friend. Uh, This is the end of the show. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Appreciate uh, your patronage. Thanks for joining us on this journey. We will be back next week with another episode. But in the meantime, please remember you can send us your comments, thoughts, feedback, ideas, anything else you'd like to. We love hearing from you. We love your comments. We love your suggestions. Anything, and I guarantee we read them. It will not be you throwing an email into the void. We will see him for sure. So you can hit us up. 
So video games podcast at gmail.com. You can also post comments for us at gamecritics.com after the show gets posted there. There's a little comment section at the bottom of each podcast. We're also on Twitter as a show collectively at so video games, but you can reach us individually. Uh, I'm on Twitter and Instagram, mostly on Twitter. Uh, Brad Galloway, B R A D G A L L A W A Y. Where can people find you, sir? I am also on Twitter and Instagram. My handles are also my first and last name. Uh, it is Corey Motley, C-O-R-E-Y-M-O-T-L-E-Y. Excellent, excellent. And that is it for us this week. Once again, thank you for joining us, and stick around for the banter after the closing music if you are so inclined. Totally up to you. Don't judge you either way. But in the meantime, uh, this is Bye from Brad. And bye from Corey. We will see you guys next week. Man, I'm tired, dude. I'm really tired. I know you're really tired, too. I This week is tech week for Romeo and Juliet. Um, I don't know if you know very much about theater, but this is the week when we're actually in the space on the stage. We've been in the rehearsal room for like two weeks, um, which is a really short time period, by the way. Like we lost a week to the snow and then there were some scheduling problems. I mean, this is a really, 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 really short rehearsal period. So we're already in the actual stage area now and it's going to be a week of like let's get the lighting cues right and this oh there's a shadow over here so we've got to move this light and oh, stand over here and oh this shirt is too red we got to change to a different shirt and just doing like all these little <laughs> i'm gonna like i'm literally going to be at the theater from 12 to 12 for the next six days so i'm gonna be pretty fucking busy i it's fun and it's good work and i'll be happy when it's done but i gotta be honest i'm not really looking forward to it that much tech week is always really really rough um, did I ever tell you that whenever I was in college, my senior year, I took a theater class called, um, it was a theater class specifically for journalism students, and I was a journalism student, and we took, uh, we did a class where it was called, um, I can't even remember what it was called, it was something like theater experience from page to stage to screen, and basically, because it was a journalism class, it revolved around um, our professor like found out every play or and or musical that was being put on like by either by our, the university or by uh, there were like a couple there was another college that was in town that had a theater department and then there was just like an independent theater um, company that was in town and there might have been more but those were like the main three and um, we would read the plays like we would go buy the plays from the bookstore and read them and then we would go see them and then we would write like faux reviews for them and then at the end of the semester for our final project um, we got in groups of like four or five or something and we had to make a out of like the five of us we made our own like kind of fake theater company and we had to come up with like a name and our like mission statement and we had to decide what plays we were going to do for a season so we had to pick out like five or so plays that we wanted to do for a season and kind of they had to be based around like a theme and then we had to make um you know like uh kind of like brochures or like pamphlets or something like that for our theater company and then to top it all off we had to pick one play 
and do one scene from the play. And whenever we did it, I directed, I was the director of our play. I actually was probably <laughs> the one who was the most into the project out of everybody in the class. And I had not been into theater like forever. Like I thought theater, cause you know, when I was growing up, I was like, oh, theater's dumb. You know, it's cause when I thought about theater, I thought of like musicals and I wasn't, I wasn't really into musicals and I'm still not really into it. But once I like started learning more about theater, I understood that like, there's a lot more because in my mind, it was either like a big ridiculous musical or it was like Romeo and Juliet. But there's like this whole world of like modern theater that it's, you know, it's like real people talking to each other. It's not where art thou bullshit. And it's not like flashing lights and explosions and music. And so I ended up picking um, the play Closer, which is by Patrick Marber. And it was later um, adapted into a movie that has Julie Roberts and like Jude Law and Clive Owen and Natalie Portman. And I directed two of the students, my fellow students in the class, and we had to like put the play, the scene on for everybody in the class. So um, I I don't know, it was like kind of a silly thing. And it was a class that really didn't matter a whole lot because it wasn't like, it was basically just like an elective for journalism. But I was like really proud of what I did. And I was proud because like, I'm the one that selected the play and I'm the one that selected the scene. And I like rehearsed it with the two students. It was just two people, a woman and a man that were in the the scene, but it was cool because we like met and rehearsed it, you know, several times over, like a few times a week for a few weeks. And then I had to like get the staging right for them. And we met for a consultation with our professor. Uh, every group had to, to kind of like run the scene and she would give us pointers. And then, um, and then we ended up putting it on for the class. And the scene that I chose from Closer is kind of like a big, like bombastic breakup scene between a husband and wife in the middle of the movie. And so it was this really intense, like, um, kind of like started off as like a sweet scene because he gets home from a business trip and then like they kind of find out that they have been um, like seeing other people kind of and then it kind of turns into this like big argument in the middle of the house and then it's over but I was very proud of that and I feel I still feel good about that to this day the work I did on that. I never knew. Look at this directorial debut of Corey Motley back in the day. I mean, it sounds from like your description and just hearing you talk about it, like you really enjoyed it. Have you ever thought about doing more? Um, I, I mean, not really. Every once in a while, I think about like maybe not directing this like little like thought in the back of my mind. I've always thought about acting, but I think I would probably be a terrible actor. I would rather... I think I would want to try it just to see if I could do it and not necessarily to see if I could do, like, a good job doing it. Um, but I think directing is something you, like, have to work a lot and work your way up to. And I'm not really sure what kind of, like, I'm sure there's, like, a shitload of theater, you know, to be found in New Orleans because New Orleans is, like, you know, a city of arts and a city of culture and all that stuff. But I haven't really dived in um I should probably like look up theater groups in the area, not to say I would want to get involved, but just like to go see a theater again. Cause it's been, it's been a long time since I've gone to see plays. And I really like, I really like small, like intimate plays that are really kind of modern or contemporary or down to earth. Um, kind of like the bigger and the more like ridiculous they get. I kind of tend to like them less, but I should probably like look up stuff in the area and just kind of see what's going on here. Yeah, man, for sure. I mean, yeah, to, to become a director is a big deal because we have a couple of people Every time I work on a play, there's always, like, a couple people who are, like, working their way up to being a director. Like, they start off with, like, something that's really small, but then they're also doing, like, an understudy thing with the director who's actually doing the show that I'm working on. And so they're always around 
and they work their fucking asses off, dude. Like they, <laughs> it's crazy, dude. Like they're almost, I mean, the amount of shit that they do and the stuff, I mean, the stuff on their plate and the stuff they're responsible for is like ridiculous. I mean, I, I, my heart goes out to those people and they've always, I mean, everyone I've worked with has been so amazing and has been so great and the people are so great, but you got to fucking earn your bullshit if you want to like direct some stuff like in, in a big sense. Uh, I, I, I shudder to think of how many dues you would have to pay to work your way up. But I mean, I'm sure there's lots of opportunities for smaller things. And if you cut your teeth on some smaller stuff, it might be a quick way to, to just getting back into it and doing something, you know, something neat like that. So yeah, yeah, it would be very cool. You know, speaking, speaking of which dude, speaking of theater and I mean, sort of tangentially theater, uh, I, I did not pay a lot of attention to the Oscars. I didn't watch it at all, but I, I caught up with it afterwards. I was waiting for somebody to give me like the TLDR of just tell me who won. And that's all I fucking care about. And I don't want to watch anything else. And I was super thrilled as I'm sure you were probably super thrilled that into the Spider-Verse won an Oscar, dude. Isn't that amazing? Um, it was amazing. I'm glad you brought this up because Oscars was kind of like a topic that I wanted to talk about for the show. Um, natural segue. What? Yes, natural segue. I was uh, obviously thrilled. I mean, the nice thing about Into the Spider-Verse was it was like, it, it was that movie's to lose in a sense. Like it was kind of a lock-in because it's been pretty much winning like every best animated movie award that, you know, for the entire season so far. But I'm really disappointed, uh, like I not to take away from its success, but I'm like incredibly disappointed that it was not nominated for like best picture overall. Like I feel like that was a strong contender to be best picture but because it's animated like it's not really seen as like a i don't know like a serious contender which kind of brings me to a little bit of what i want to talk about with the oscars or about awards season in general am i allowed to take the floor here or do you want to talk about spider-verse more no no i just wanted to give it a big shout out because i know that you and i both were just like full of endless love for that movie and I was, I mean, I, to be honest, I didn't do any reading beforehand, so I didn't even realize it was nominated for an Oscar, but I mean, I agree. I, I think it was for me and I suspect for you, I mean, one of the best films, like full stop period that I saw last year, like I thought it was just fucking amazing, like from every perspective, but you know, the fucking Academy, they're so full of fuddy duddies and like anything that's like some kind of fucking period piece or anything that's really boring and three hours long is like fucking Oscar bait for those fuckers. So <laughs> I mean, for real, dude, like, they're so out of touch with, like, the actual people, like, who, who go to watch movies. Like, they're just this really insular group, and they just kind of pat themselves on the back. And anything that's fucking dull and English or really fucking talky and sad is, like, always nominated. It's fucking bullshit. So I'm thrilled it was even nominated, and I'm super thrilled it won. And I, I'm just, I'm elated because that fucking movie was the bomb. It deserved every bit of it. And um, just a little, just one more tangent before I turn it over to you. Uh, I didn't think Black Panther had a chance in hell of winning. I'm glad they were nominated. And they did win a couple for, like, costumes or whatever. So, I mean, very, very cool. I'm very happy for them. It would have been great if they won. But, honestly, I don't think it was really, like, an Oscar. You know, it wasn't wasn't movie of the year quality for me. But uh, very thrilled to see them get some recognition, too. So that was cool. But, okay, on to you, sir. What did you want to bring about the Oscars? Okay, so, like, whenever I was a little bit younger, like, maybe whenever I was, like, late high school into, like, mid-college, I was, like, pretty into, you know, like, movie. I mean, it was totally pretentious. Like, I was, like, really into, like, movies in a pretentious way and, like, really into awards season. And I would, like, act like I had some kind of, like, horse in the race for any of this. And, like, as I've gotten older... I have started feeling more and more, and this is partially, like, me being, like, crotchety, and it's also partially, I think, just me being, like, kind of being, maybe, like, jaded is maybe a good word for it, but, like, 
as I've gotten older, I feel like awards shows are just like a huge like pile of bullshit. And I I'm having like a lot of conflicted thoughts about this because obviously like I think that if you make a great work of art, like you kind of deserve that deserves to be like awarded. But I also think like you know I mean if you think about the and an entire calendar year, there's probably hundreds of thousands of movies that come out, you know, some that cost $10,000 to make, some that cost $200 million to make, and, so, and you know, some of them play in a theater in every city in the United States, and some go straight to DVD, some play in 13 theaters across the United States, and I just think it's really, like, because, I mean, it's, it's art, so it's all opinion. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of technical craft that goes into you know, making a film, you know, sound design, sound editing, cinematography, like knowing how cameras work, knowing how lighting works, costume design, makeup, you know, visual effects, CGI. There's a, there's a ton of technical craft that goes into it. But like at the end of the day, I feel when like all I think about lately, whenever I think about awards shows, it does, is it's just like a bunch of like rich white people handing other rich white people statues. And it's just like a bunch of kind of like people voting on these things. And it's like, I, I don't, quite understand how it works and I think it's all just kind of bullshit and there's always like the thing I think that bothers me the most is it's you know I there's a ton of people on Twitter who are just like so into award season and they have an opinion about everything all the time everywhere every show all the stuff and you know and it, there's always like oh well these eight movies got award got nominated for best picture and then you have like you know, hundreds of people on Twitter who were like, oh, well, these other, like, ten movies are better than those. You know, why weren't they nominated? And it's just this weird, like, big, nebulous, uh, just, like, subjective cloud of, I don't know, like, like upper-class white douchebaggery. And then you have, you know, the situations where it's, like, obviously there's a, been a big push for, like, inclusion in the Oscars lately because, you know, I don't know, whatever, like, high percentage of Oscars, it's, like, mostly, like, white people that win them or, like, white men that win them. And I'm all about, like, inclusivity or inclusivity and stuff for it. But then you have, like, situations where, like, last night, um, The Green Book won Best Picture. And I have not seen The Green Book, so I cannot comment on the movie. But people that I follow on Twitter who I trust, like, have basically said that it's kind of, like, a band-aid on racism, like, written by a white person movie, and a movie like Black Klansman, which was actually directed by a black man, um, like, kind of was more fitting to win. Like, if the Oscars really, like, meant something, then they would, like, I don't know, recognize, like, a movie about race relations that was, like, written and directed by black people, not, like, a movie that's sort of, like, a buddy comedy drama about, like, a black dude and a white dude getting along and then it's the kind of like feel good movie that just makes people who don't understand racism think that like that like racism is over with and i don't know it's just like i have a lot of conflicted thoughts about it but the more i think about a, the awards season the more i'm just like this is just like a giant heap of bullshit and it's just like a bunch of rich ass people handing other people like awards and they're all wearing like their fancy clothes and you know their dresses that cost 50 million dollars and i'm just like it just seems like a lot like a lot of bullshit to me and i i can't quite get past that like a barrier of entry sometimes to like appreciate what's actually going on and i just i'm very conflicted about it brad i mean yes to everything you said i didn't see any of these movies <clears throat> either but you know, I've, it's it's impossible to escape the chatter if you're on Twitter or if you're on social media. I was, 
I mean, I feel like I could give a talk about the differences between Black Klansman and Green Book, and I haven't seen either movie, right? Just because you're constantly surrounded by it, and people are talking about it. So I feel like I have a pretty good handle on what the issues are, and it's like you said, I mean, you know, Green Book is the safe, inoffensive, feel-good movie, whereas Black Klansman, like, you know, apparently upset a lot of people, or it was pushing boundaries in some way. I mean, from what I gather, again, I'm just talking out of my ass here, just from what I've absorbed through Twitter, so I'm not, not speaking with authority, but... Um, someone this or just this morning posted a statistic, um, and of course all statistics are lies, but who knows, maybe it's actually true, but it was saying something that like the Academy, the people who vote on the films, I mean, it was something ridiculous, like 84% of the Academy is like white men or something like that. I mean, I don't know if that's accurate. I'm just kind of just bullshitting because I, I didn't like save the tweet or anything. I just looked at it and I'm like, yep, and moved on. Um, but you know, it makes perfect sense. And, and, and again, basically any award unless you're judging like actual performance as in I ran a race faster than you and I physically crossed the line first. If you're talking about judging things based on opinion or, you know, merit in other ways, I mean, it's all, it's all like so complicated. There's so much politics and, you know, who's friends with who and what happened last year. And it's not just about like, what is the best and even what is the best even mean? I mean, so much of it is just you know, up to, is, is, is arbitrary or is, you know, there's, it's really hard to decide what is best and what does best even mean? You know, it's all so subjective. So I hear you. And that's kind of why I don't really care that much. I mean, I was just kind of like morbidly curious to see what won. Uh, so I just got a quick glance, but I don't put any stock in the awards. And there's been many, 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 many times when something I thought was much better than something else, you know, lost, but you know, it doesn't diminish my appreciation of it. And I think as long as people are out there pulling for the things that they like and being vocal about what they like, that's that's cool. I mean, it's kind of the same thing with Game of the Year uh, awards. I mean, our picks, I think, were wildly different than probably 90% of the other bigger sites or bigger podcasts or whatever. I mean, it was like you couldn't take two steps on the internet without tripping over, uh, you know, fucking Spider-Man and, what was it, God of War and Red Dead Redemption 2. Like it, was like, it was like everybody's top three in whatever order, but it was like those top three games. And do I think those games deserve to be game of the year? Not, not according to me and not according to you either. But, you know, again, it's just like so subjective and so, you know, I mean, there's never going to be any one true list or any, any, any genuine, this is the one that really won because there's just so many fucking opinions out there. But whatevs, I mean, if you kind of look at it like, well, this is the thing that happened and that's neat moving on with my life, then I guess it's no big deal. But anyway, I do basically agree with you. So, um, yeah, I would like, before we move on, I just want to yeah, note yeah. that I am incredibly thrilled that Lady Gaga won an Oscar last night. She was nominated for two, her third nomination overall. And she won Best Original Song for Shallow from A Star Is Born. And she performed it with Bradley Cooper on the show, which I've already watched like four times because it was incredible. And now I will never not refer to her as Oscar winner Lady Gaga for the rest of my life. I know that <laughs> I just went on this big rant about how awards are dumb and how I don't believe in them and all this crap, but I have to stand by Lady Gaga for everything. So she has now won an Oscar. She's won like... I don't know, like nine Grammys or something. She won a Golden Globe. She's like on her way to EGOTing, which I'm really excited about. I mean, she's like halfway there, but I, uh, yeah. So Oscar winner, congratulations to Oscar winner Lady Gaga for taking home a gold statue last night. Congratulations, congratulations. And according to Corey Motley, well-deserved. I haven't heard the song. <laughs> I don't know, but I trust you. I'm sure it's great. I've heard a lot of people say that they like that as well, so. 
Cool, cool, cool. Um, let's segue into TV a little bit. Let's touch on the thing that we kind of I kind of spoiled for you last night because I want to get it out there on the podcast. And you don't, you're not, you're not on spot. We don't have to talk about it too much if you don't want to. But um, so I talk about the Orville every once in a while. I really like it a lot. It's a good show that we watch for the family, like when we're all together. Me, the wife, and the youngest on the couch, and we're watching TV. It's it's one that we can all agree on. We all like it a lot. Um, you know, it's it's totally a love letter to Star Trek. It's no longer really a comedy parody anymore. It's it's basically a love letter where the people on the show, you can tell they, they really love Star Trek, like, a lot, and they're kind of paying homage to it. And so it's cool to watch a show about something that everybody likes, made by people who actually like that thing, too. And it's kind of a weird experience, having seen some Star Trek myself and being a fan of Star Trek in general, but I really dig it a lot. But the last few times I've talked about it, um, people on Twitter have reached out to me and have said, oh, you know, I don't watch that show or I don't support that show because... Seth MacFarlane, who is, you know, the guy who creates Family Guy, he does the voices on that, and he plays the captain on the Oroville, and he, I guess, is the showrunner and the show writer or whatever. Um, they're like, oh yeah, Seth MacFarlane is a douchebag, he's homophobic and transphobic, and he's a fucking piece of shit, and I don't like him, I'm not gonna watch that show ever, 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 fuck that guy. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, I, I didn't know anything about him as a person, so I'm like, oh, that's really disappointing, and I kind of you know, I tried to look into it a little bit, and I, you know, picked up a little few things here and there, but, uh, so we, we continued to watch The Orville, because my family just really liked it, and I, I was, I was really confused, dude, I was honestly confused, because hearing people talk about him in that way, and to be fair, like, I don't, I'm not, like, a huge Family Guy fan, so I don't know the content of that show, maybe that's true, uh, and I, I'm not, like, really familiar with McFarland as an artist, I don't know his output, really, um, but watching The Orville, it was confusing to me because I think the Orville is like a really fucking queer show. Like, I feel like it's really queer. There's um, a number of things that have come up over the two seasons that have been aired so far. Uh, I mean, for example, one of the main characters, his name is Bordas, and he is an alien, and they're called Mocklins. But basically, his race is all men. Like, the entire planet, every single, every single alien on there is like a guy. And they have established that there were female Mocklins, but they are, like, reviled and cast out, and they're you know, every male Mocklin thinks they're disgusting. And so, like, I mean, I don't know if that necessarily counts as being a planet full of gay men, but I think they often touch on those kind of things when they bring up that character. And they show him in, like, a really favorable light. Like, he's really liked. I mean, he's a cool character. He's fun. Um, he has a partner who, again, is, like, another male guy, and he's they just kind of do their thing. And I guess in this alien culture, two males can have a baby together. They have, like, an egg, and they hatch the egg, and it comes out as a little, little boy. Um... So that's something that they talk about. They talk about some interspecies stuff which comes up. But then also, when they had their baby, um, the baby was born a girl. And so that was like this huge thing that happened. It caused strife between the parents because one of them was like, well, we should leave it the way it is. And the other one was like, fuck no. I'm not doing that. We're all men. We gotta be men. This has gotta be a boy. And we're gonna do a, um, a gender reassignment surgery to make it a boy. And so like it was like this hot topic. And I'm like, holy shit. Like This is like a real life thing that's happening right now totally relatable to a lot of parents out there these days a real issue like having trans kids and gender reassignment and like what does queerness mean and how do you how do you accept people i mean all this stuff is stuff that's going on right now and i i felt like it was like really like respectful the way that they did it and it was really tough it was a card episode to watch in some ways and i feel like they didn't just put a bow on it at the end and they've actually brought that issue up a number of other times where it's had an impact on the couple's relationship because they had this rift happen because they didn't really come to peace with each other over it. And then in another recent episode, there was another Mocklin 
who, again, this is the planet of, of gay male aliens. He showed up and he's like, like, it's a secret, but I actually dig chicks. And so like he ended up like getting killed because the other Mocklins thought he was like, like a race trader. And they were like, you're such a pervert that you like women and we got to kill you and all this stuff. I mean, there's more to it than that. I'm not really spoiling anything. I'm kind of just glossing over this. So, you know, nobody who watches the show, don't tell me I got it wrong. I know I'm leaving things out on purpose just to kind of to touch on this issue. But in general, I feel like this is like a really gay positive show and a really queer positive show. And like the stuff that I'm hearing about Seth MacFarlane doesn't square with what I'm seeing on the show. So I'm a straight guy. I am also pretty white. Um, I feel like I am in the right body. So I don't feel like I am the most qualified person to comment on whether or not the show gets the queer issues right. But from my cishet whitish male perspective, I feel like it's really respectful and they're bringing up good issues that are good to talk about. I feel like they've led to some really good discussions with me and my family. I know a lot of people in real life who are dealing with some of these issues. I know people who have been through these issues and I feel like like it's kind of they're handling it in a good way. And I'm just really puzzled by this. Because if McFarlane was such a homophobe, transphobe, fuck-off asshole, like, I feel like the show wouldn't be as good as it does. Or at the very least, they wouldn't bring it up as often as they do, but I feel like it's a big theme in the show. So I guess I'm just really puzzled by this. I know you haven't seen the show, um, but I would, write, I, would, I would love for all of our queer listeners out there to please give it a watch and just, like, let me know what you think, because I, I think it seems like it's okay. If it's not okay, I want to know about it. If there's problems with it, I want to hear about it. But I just, I don't know enough information and I'm not the person who's like living that life. So I really want to hear from people who are living that life to tell me like, is this a good show? Is it not a good show? Do you, do you like what he's doing? Is it, is it wrong? Is it good? Is it bad? I mean, I'm just really fucking confused, man. I am super confused right now. Um, I don't feel qualified to say basically anything on this because I haven't seen the show I I mean, last night I, like, Googled, <laughs> because I'm an idiot, I Googled Seth MacFarlane transphobic, and, of course, I got, like, a handful of articles that kind of explained, like, or tried to explain, I don't know if they did explain, like, kind of, like, how his, like, fascination with transgender people seems kind of unnatural, and... Some of the stuff that had been on Family Guy and the Cleveland show in the past was, like, uh, transphobic, and I don't know. I mean, the weird thing is, like, we we live... The, the double-edged sword of the world we live in now is that due to social media, due to Facebook and Twitter and blogs and everything, every single person in the world gets to have an opinion on everything, and so... If you look for something, you're going to find it. So if I look, if I Google Seth MacFarlane transphobic, I'm going to find 15 articles about why he's transphobic. And if I f Google Seth MacFarlane not transphobic, I'm going to find 15 articles about how he's not transphobic. And then if I read those, and then if I go to the comments underneath them, everyone in the comments is going to be saying the opposite of what the article says. Totally, totally, So, yeah. And that was, like, something that I noticed last night. And, like, I don't feel qualified to talk about this because I'm not transgender. I don't have any transgender friends, so I can't be like, hey, give me your opinion on this. Um, and, but I, you know, I was reading something last night on one of the sites that I Googled about how it was, like, a piece on The Advocate or something, which is sort of, like, a gay-leaning, um, um, like, news site. And 
they, we, you know, we're talking about, I don't remember if it was on the advocate or a different site, but it was basically an article about how like, you know, he's done a bunch of transphobic stuff. He's said things that weren't very um, friendly to the LGBT community, but also some of the stuff was like several years ago, like eight or nine years ago. And about how like the new show, the Orville, like isn't really doing any favors and and then like I go down to the comments and of course you know there's somebody that's like that's basically like well how like the thing about the gay community is like how do you expect anybody to I don't there's just like a couple mindsets of this like and somebody in the comments was saying like well how do you expect straight people to be allies if gay people get mad at straight people every single time they try to like expose or like you know write a gay character or write a trans character or queer or intersex or whatever because, like, no matter what they do, someone's going to be mad about it. Or a gay person will be mad about it. Or a trans person or whatever. And then, like, and then there's the other mindset of, like, well, we shouldn't have to, like, gay people shouldn't have to continually teach, like, straight people how to do this. Like, how to write the characters. And so, you know, it's kind of like a racism thing, too. Because it's like, you know, black people keep having to go to bat and say you know, this is racist, that's racist, this is insensitive, that's insensitive. And I get it because, like, at a certain point, whenever you're of that minority, it's fucking tiring. Like, having to continually call people out over and over again on stuff, you get tired and you get worn down. And then at a certain point, you think, God damn it, like, why is this my job all the time to be, like, calling someone out on this shit whenever, like, you know, the culture should be well-known enough to where, like, white people should be calling white people out on their racist bullshit and stuff like that. Um, you know, kind of a, in a similar vein of, like, you know, like, the Me Too movement or what have you with, like, feminism, where, like, every time, you know, like, a female uh, actor is in an interview, it's always like, oh, tell us about the Me Too movement. Tell us about this. And it's like, well, really, you should be asking the men about it. Like, don't ask the victims to, like, justify all this. You need to ask the disgusting dudes who were like harboring this culture, how they're going to help put a stop to it. Cause that's going to go a lot farther than just like asking the victims or the potential victims to keep like talking about it in a way. So I don't know. There's just like a lot. I like how five minutes ago I was like, I'm not qualified to talk about this. And then I drone on for like 10 minutes about it. Um, I don't, there's just like, it's just the kind of thing where no matter which direction you look, because the, the world is where it is right now. You're going to find people who think, oh, good job, Seth MacFarlane, because you are using your slot on primetime TV to really, like, expose issues to a greater audience. And then you have people who are like, well, you've been transphobic in the past, so I'm never forgiving you, or you're not doing this the way I want you to be doing it. And so it's just, like, it's just a fucking mess. And, like, I don't, I don't know. I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, Seth MacFarlane's awesome or Seth MacFarlane's terrible because I don't really care enough about him to like do research to try to like really get to the bottom of like, I think he's doing a good job or not because I don't care that much. Um, so I can't really be like, I don't know the, the gatekeeper here for whether like Seth MacFarlane is a good guy or not. But, um, I don't know. That's kind of my, it's not even two cents. That's my, like, I don't know, like eight cents on the issue perhaps. <laughs> You're almost <laughs> to a dime. It's okay. <laughs> well, a couple of things. First off, you may have trans friends and not know about it. So that's true that, that is true yeah i shouldn't say that because i don't know it's really none of my business who isn't isn't trans um i don't right. have any trans friends that i know of that's good to say that so yeah just just throwing that out there i know that somebody was going to email us about that and i know that's not what you meant but 
Uh, it's very possible. I, I've had this experience. Maybe you've had the experience. Listeners, maybe you've had the experience. But it is very possible you have trans people in your life and you don't even know it. So that's that's a thing that can happen. Uh, also, I mean, I think that what you're saying is really true and good and you have a point because, I mean, I don't know. Maybe he was, maybe McFarlane was the most transphobic asshole in the world in the past. Totally possible. I don't know and I'm not, you know, I'm not like policing his whole entire history. <laughs> but I do think that there is a point at which you have to say, can a person be forgiven? Like... I mean, based on what I'm seeing in the Orville, I would never think this guy was a transphobe. I would never think he was a homophobe. And maybe that's true. Maybe it's not true. I don't know. But, you know, maybe he turned a corner. Maybe he saw the error of his ways. Like, if we can't ever be forgiven for a mistake, and I'm not saying some bullshit like, oh, I was an asshole for 10 years and I said sorry once on a blog and then I should be fine. I mean, like, if you genuinely like are repentant and you're doing things to make up for the shit you've done and you have really, like, honestly turned a new leaf... Like, you've, there's got to be room to forgive people like that, because if not, then what is ever the incentive to be a better person, right? Like, you know, I mean, when I was younger, growing up in racist, fucking homophobic-ass part of Washington, where there was, like, one black person and the only gay person was a target for everybody to pick on, like, I, you know, I was not the most woke person back then. I was not, like, as socially involved as I am now. But, you know, it's been, like, 20 years of living in, like, one of the gayest parts of Seattle, and I have tons of gay and trans people in my life, and I, I feel like I'm a better person I'm, I'm better for it and so like you know that evolution had to come with time and knowledge and meeting people and learning and growing and changing and like if we can't ever like if you can't ever be forgiven for something in the past i mean i just don't know what that says about us now like how how can anybody ever go on living if you make one mistake and then you're tarred and feathered for the rest of your life you know so i don't know i mean i feel like if if he's been terrible in the past and he's good now i feel like there's got to be space to forgive somebody like that if they are genuinely repentant, if they are genuinely taking steps forward, if they are really sorry and have learned the error of their ways. So I feel like there's got to be some forgiveness somewhere. So anyway, um, trans people, queer people, anybody listening, um, if you're watching the Orville and you have an opinion, I would love, I would genuinely love to hear your opinion of it because I just feel really confused. I really want to know what you guys think. I know what I think, but I, I'm not the authority, like I said. Please write in, tweet me, DM me, whatever. I really want to know. So if you're watching it, please let me know. Um, Corey, wha what else you got in your, your, your banter blog there? You got anything in your list? You got something else? Um, I have one. I think I just have one thing left. This is kind of silly, but I'm excited to talk about it. Um, so... Uh, I was on Twitter the other day. This is how every story in my entire life starts. This is how our entire podcast goes yeah. every single time. I was on Twitter <laughs> the other day. And I discovered, so I've been following, um, I don't know if you know, do you know who Joey Esposito is on Twitter? Is that their Twitter name? Uh, I don't know, but that's his real name. Um, I only know people by their Twitter names. Okay, that's fine. I don't know what his Twitter name is, but he um he used to be the comics editor at IGN, like, I don't know, like eight or nine years ago or something. And there was a point in my life where whenever I was young and dumb and in early college and I was obsessed with all the big video game sites where I basically just like followed every single editor that worked for every big gaming site. And I was never into comics, but like I saw that he worked for IGN. So I started following him 
And, you know, at a certain point now, like, I'm definitely more jaded on it. And I've unfollowed, like, a ton of people who were, like, big wigs in the industry. And to be frank, I mean, everybody, whenever I was, like, a freshman or sophomore in college, everybody that was an editor at IGA, they pretty much all got fired at this point. So, or they, like, moved on to other jobs. Um, and, like, they go to PR and then I unfollow them because they never tweet or whatever. <laughs> like, that's just kind of how the, the cycle of the video game editorial works. Like, you work at a big site for 10 years you move on to PR and then you are never heard from again or you get laid off or something. Anyway, Joey um, Esposito, I followed. I follow him on Twitter. Um, he used to be the comics editor at IGN. He left a long time ago, probably like seven or eight or nine years ago or something like that. And now he is a comic writer. I, he makes his own comic books. Uh, I don't know exactly what he does because like I said, I'm not really in to comics, but he's been enjoyable enough to follow. He's just kind of like an average dude. He's married. He has a cat that's adorable. He does karaoke a lot. He's just like, I don't know. He's just like a cool guy and he doesn't follow me. So I don't like, we're not like friends or anything, but basically I'm getting, I'm giving way too much backstory on this story. Long kind of story short, but he has a cat. Corey, he's got a cat. He has a cat. He has a cat. His cat's name's Rebo and he's very cute. Um, he started a podcast with a guy named Ben. And I think Ben, his co-host is, I don't know if they used to work at IGN together or something or if they used to do a podcast together. I didn't know who Ben was, but he's, like, verified on Twitter and, I don't know, has, like, 4,000 followers or something. So he's got to be, like, uh, important in some capacity. Um, he – they started a podcast together. And of all the things for them to start a podcast about, it is literally a podcast about Target, the department store. Oh, shit. Are we talking about – Right up your fucking alley or what? Yes. So they have a Twitter account. The t- podcast is called Goodfellows, which is a brand of clothing at Target. It's the now, fucking so... pants. It's the pants I'm wearing right now. Yeah, it is the pants I'm wearing right now, too. So Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Sponsored by Target. What? <laughs> so and it, their podcast is not affiliated by Target at all. It's basically just two like middle-aged straight dudes talking about like target and they every week they start and they go through the weekly ad which is hilarious to me they do like a 15 minute segment on the weekly ad and then they kind of pick a different topic to talk about every week and last week they're only they're literally three episodes in. this is like brand new it's fresh it's silly um but they did uh like their last episode was about market pantry which is targets kind of like low-end like in-house grocery brand because they have like a few grocery brands but market pantry is like they're kind of like low one like their best choice style and they both kind of talked about what they like and market pantry and what they think is better than name brand stuff and what they don't like and it's just like a really kind of silly show and i saw them tweet about it and so i tweeted at them and i was like hey i don't know if you guys do guest spots but like i worked at target for 11 years for three stores in two different states i was a key carrying presentation and pricing team leader for two years before i left so if you guys like ever need a guest or just oh like, Oh my God, you totally drop your target cred right on them. Yeah. Oh, I know. Man. And so, oh, like, man. <laughs> and so Joey like tweeted me back pretty quickly and it was like, yes, please. And then he started, <laughs> so he started following me, which is pretty cool. And we have not discussed the specifics of it, but he said that he would definitely like 100% get back to me on it. So fingers crossed. Um, I know Brad, I know you've guest starred on some podcasts before that are, uh, that are not our, the so video games show. So maybe now I get to take my turn. And once I, if I do it, you know, I'll obviously keep so video games updated and you updated on what's going on. But 
Um, fingers crossed I might do like a guest spot on their show and maybe talk about, I don't know, like my experience working there and try to answer any questions that they have and try to give them some some insights because neither of them have ever worked there. And it doesn't sound to me from what they talk about on the show that they know anybody that works there. They just shop there all the time. Um so I was like, sure, like I'll throw my hat in the ring and see what they say. And like Joey said, he wanted to get back to me on it. So fingers crossed, I might do like a guest spot on their their stupid Target podcast. So uh, I'm like really excited about this because on every fucking show we do, I'm like, oh, I used to work at Target this one time when I worked at Target. So I'm like pretty pumped that they're hopefully going to have me on and I'll be able to nerd out just about Target with them on their silly podcast. Oh, my God, dude. My mind is so fucking blown right now. Like, you don't even fucking know. Like, you are the Target mofo. And, like, here's a... Like, how do you even have a podcast about Target? Like, I don't even understand that to begin with. But if there was one, of course you would be the fucking guest star for that. Of course you would. Who else would be the fucking... There's no better match for that. That is fucking incredible. Like, when that when you do that, and that episode goes up, dude, we're going to pimp the fuck out of that. We're going to get that all across Twitter. I want to listen to that so hard, dude. That is amazing. That is fucking amazing. Also, yeah. I seriously, I can't uh, target. I mean, it's blowing my mind, dude. It's blowing my mind. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah, I'm really excited. So hopefully, I think they do a weekly show. So hopefully they'll hit me up soon. God damn, a weekly on. show about Target. What the fuck? A, yeah, a that weekly is crazy. show. I mean, and it's still young. I mean, I have no doubt that they will like keep doing it. Apparently it popped up on iTunes, new and noteworthy podcasts already. So they must have like a listenership already, which is kind of exciting for them. But I'm really hoping that they'll like, even if I only show up once or even if they don't invite me on, I hope that they, um, you know, end up really keeping it going. Cause it's so easy to say, Hey, I want to do a podcast. And then you do 10 episodes and then you're busy and you can't get back to it. Like, I mean, it's a freaking miracle that you and I have kept up with the show weekly for as long as we have. Cause doing a podcast, like people who listen to it might think it's just two dudes sitting down talking for an hour and then leaving, but there's a lot more that goes into it than that. So I'm hoping that they'll keep it up and that they'll keep doing it. And I'm just excited to, um, to listen to it. So yeah, even if you're listening to this show and you want to, you like target or whatever, it's called Goodfellows. It's on, I think every platform it's on, um, iTunes, it's on Stitcher, it's on Spotify. Um, they have a Twitter account for it. I think an Instagram account for it. So you can go and follow that and listen to them. And if they have me on, I will keep everybody posted and let y'all know whenever I'm on it. God, the world is just a wild fucking place, dude. This is <laughs> fucking crazy. Oh my god. Okay, so congratulations. I'm dev- I'm I'm stoked as hell for this, dude. I want to see you dropping fucking target knowledge left and right on these guys and be like, "What's up, Target? Give oh you the dope." God. So good. Okay, let's move on real quick. <clears throat> we should probably get onto the actual podcast in a second here, but there's a couple things I want to talk about real quick. Um finally got around to finishing Gravity Falls with my son. I talked about it a few times before. It's 40 episodes of a cartoon about two kids who go to live with their uncle in Oregon and then all sorts of crazy shit happens. Um, I gotta say, it started out kind of obnoxious because, you know, just the jokes and just the tone of the show and all that. But we really grew to love it uh, as the show went on. And I'm really glad that my son kind of talked me into watching it with him. And the the final three episodes, which we watched 47 episodes, oh no, 37 episodes, sorry, 37 episodes of a 40-episode series. And then we got busy and we didn't watch the last three for like, a month. So like we totally stopped right before this three part gigantic like conclusion. It was crazy that we didn't just finish those last three episodes. Finally watched the last three episodes. And I have to say, number one, it was really, really fucking good. It was way darker than I thought it would be. And like they set it up for an ending that would have been absolutely fucking 
devastating, like so heartbreakingly sad and just like catastrophic and like, like, like traumatic, dude. And I was like, oh my fucking God, this place is, it's getting so dark what they're doing here. This is, I can't believe they're doing it. And they kind of did it. But you have to remember this show is produced by the Disney Channel. So there's obviously some limits in place, some controls that, you know, producers will pop up and be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Um, it came really, really close to being like to like to like making me cry, dude. I was like, oh, my God, this is like so sad. Uh, but they, they veered up at the last minute and they put a little bow on it at the end, which I knew they would do because it's a Disney Channel show. You can't really do the dark stuff. Um, but overall, I loved Gravity Falls. I thought it was just really fucking good, like way better than I thought it was going to be. And now I can understand why so many people on Twitter are like obsessed with it. Um, so it's a good show. I definitely recommend it. It takes a couple episodes to kind of find the, the beat of it or to kind of just get the, the humor and the, the tone. But like, if you get into it, I think it actually was really, really well done. I really liked it a lot. So, um, shout out to Gravity Falls. I can now say I've seen the whole episode, watch it with the sun. Good, good stuff. Um, Final shout out during the snow. Remember the snowpocalypse here in Seattle, Corey, the of giant snowpocalypse. How is it? Has everything melted so far? Is everything okay in Seattle now? We are back to normal. Food has been brought in. I mean, roads have been restored. Life has gone on. It's all been real good. But when I was when I was grocery shopping the day before we got stuck in, um, I think I talked about it in the show where I was like at the grocery store. I was like in line for like like an hour, like trying to get through the line just to check out for my groceries and stuff. Um, the line that I was in was in the cereal aisle. So like, you know, there's check stands at the front of the store and then there's like multiple rows of shelves behind as you go deeper in the store. We were like in the cereal aisle cause there was like, I mean like 40 people in line ahead of me. Everybody wanted to check out before we were all going to die of freezing cold and starvation. <laughs> so we were stuck in the cereal aisle and usually I have a couple favorite cereals that we pick up and we just kind of cruise on through. But I was standing there for so fucking long that I had nothing to do but like look around at the cereal that was in the aisle because you're just you're not going anywhere. You gotta wait your turn. And I happened to stop by a cereal that was called S'mores cereal. Uh, I believe it's put out by Post. Have you ever had this cereal? Have you ever seen this cereal, Corey? I've never seen it, but I want it in my mouth right this second, please. So so listen up, dude. So this is what happened. <laughs> I would never I would never have bought this cereal on any other day. But because I was in the cereal aisle and stuck because the register wasn't going fast enough, I was standing by a box of s'more cereal for like like a full at least 30 minutes without budging, <laughs> staring at this box of cereal. And I'm like, OK, that's garbage. This is just bullshit sugar cereal. I'm not going to buy that. And then, you know, five minutes goes by. Ten minutes goes by. I start to get hungry because I haven't had food in a while. We're not going anywhere. I'm starting to feel a little bit desperate. And I'm like, you know. I don't know. Maybe that looks kind of good. It might be okay. And then I'm like, you know, another five, 10 minutes goes by. I got the box in my cart. I'm going to buy the fucking box of cereal. Right. <laughs> so like what this is, it's fucking gold. Have you ever had golden grams? Yes. Okay. So it is literally golden grams. Have you had cocoa puffs? I don't, th I mean, I'm aware, but I don't think I've ever actually had them. Okay. So it's golden grams, which is already pretty sugary as it is. They straight up just dump a bunch of cocoa puffs in it, which is just chocolate. I mean, sugar with a little bit of chocolate in it. And then on top of that, they just throw in some straight up marshmallows, dude. So it is like Golden Grahams, Cocoa Puffs, and just marshmallows in a big fucking box. I can't believe I bought it. And then I got it home and I ate it and it was like the most delicious thing I had ever had. <laughs> and the entire box was gone in like seven hours or something like that. Like we were just, the family destroyed that fucking box. And we're all like, this is trash. We should have this sugary cereal in our house. This is garbage. There's no vitamins in this, no minerals. It's just pure sugar. I know, right? It's so good. Can I have another bowl? Yeah, you bet. Pour me some too. <laughs> like, fuck, it was just disgusting. 
and delicious, and I felt guilty as hell, but it was so good. And I haven't bought another box, but then I have thought about it. So s'mores cereal, it's out there. If you want to kill yourself a little bit with sugar, it's probably a pretty good way to go. So heads up on that. It was, it was pretty fucking good, despite being pretty bad. But it was pretty good. <laughs> do you are you the kind of person who eats cereal? Do you just like? pick it out of the box and eat it dry or do you always like pour it with milk and eat it in a bowl how do you approach cereal i mean it depends on the cereal it depends on how much time i've got like if i'm at home kicking it and we're just like chilling and watching a show i'll definitely do the pour the cereal in the bowl and pour some milk in there that's totally fine if i'm gonna like if i'm in a rush and i'm going somewhere in a hurry if i have a cereal that i think is not going to make too much of a mess i'll dump some in a little sandwich bag and take some with me dry um so it kind of depends um but i think usually uh, more often than not i'm in the bowl with milk kind of guy what about you uh yeah that's me too i don't really eat cereal much i actually don't really eat breakfast much to be frank because it's the most important meal of the day and i skip it almost every day um but i'm definitely like a sit down with a bowl and milk and cereal kind of guy well, s'mores goes real good with milk. I'm sure it'd be good. Fun. It'd be good if you just poured it straight up in your mouth too, like just <laughs> double fisting it. I'm sure it'd be good because it's just chocolate and marshmallows and sugar and graham crackers. And how can you go wrong with that? So anyway, all right, dude, that's all I got. You got anything else? I don't think so. All right, man, let's wrap this up. Let's talk about some games. Sound good? Sounds good. All right, let's talk about some games.